Welcome to our podcast for Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Campus. It has been several weeks since I uploaded last, and I do apologize for that. January has been pretty hectic for us, and we've been going through a transition as well. In case you weren't already aware, Pastor Ben Kramer has resigned from his position as Amity Campus Pastor here at Cathedral of the Rockies. He did not make this decision lightly, citing burnout and the need to be more available for his family. Ben will still be active online and working on personal projects, so you don't have to stop hearing his voice out in the world. Be sure to find him on social media and subscribe to his personal weekly newsletter to continue to hear from Pastor Ben. I'll link the newsletter in the show notes. So with that said, today's sermon is Ben's final sermon here at Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Campus. This sermon was preached on New Year's Eve, December 31st of 2023. We are all so very, very thankful for Pastor Ben and his time here at Cathedral of the Rockies. We wish him the best and look forward to see how God continues to use his voice in our world today. throughout the Christmas and Advent journey, we hear these promises of what Christ is meant to bring in the world. We just sang a song today that was joy to the world, right? And we look at how peace is to come and what the fulfillment of God's love through Christ in the world. We have these themes of what we hope the world will look like, reconciliation, healing brought, brought together as one. Today, then, when we have the baby Jesus brought to the temple, we hear kind of a different message as this Christmas season continues. We hear Simeon saying to Mary, Jesus' mother, he will cause the falling and rising of many. What? I thought there was supposed to be peace. Everybody's supposed to get along, right? I mean, that's what we as the church have done so well. There's only one church. We all believe the same thing in the world. <laughs> We all agree, all Christians, for 2,000 years we've agreed on everything, right? No wars, no inquisitions, no crusades, nothing. We've just agreed because Jesus has come into the world, right? So Simeon really has a message. In fact, all Methodists agree, <laughs> right? Thank goodness. You know, they got it wrong in the first 1,500 years, but we Methodists, man, we nailed it. And even here at Amity, we all agree, you know, you just bring up politics and everybody's just like, yep, 100% agree on everything. What Simeon is trying to get at here is when Jesus comes into the world, it's not an instantaneous peace. It's not an instantaneous hope. It's not an instantaneous reconciliation. Jesus comes to work towards that world. He doesn't say, blessed are you who can just sit there now because peace has been made. <laughs> he says, blessed are the peacemakers, Right? So Jesus has come to show that, and it, what happens? When Jesus comes into the world, it causes the rising and fall of many because there's not an, even an agreement in his closest disciples on who he is, right? They consistently trip up and don't recognize him as the Messiah he is. One example, Jesus tells his prediction that he's going to die on a cross for the third time, and Peter acts like he's hearing it for the first time. And what does Peter say? Literally the same Greek word that is used to rebuke demons. 
Jesus, Peter says that to Jesus' face. How dare you? That is not to be what, you can't die on a cross. We can't overthrow Rome with a dead Messiah. And <laughs> Peter said that to Jesus. So if you think you can't get upset at God, <laughs> just read Peter every now and then, okay? Peter gets pretty upset. He even pulls a sword out because of his anger and hacks some guy's ear off. And Jesus, I just see him rolling his eyes again inside and as he heals the ear. And it's like, that's Peter. I just made him the head of the church. Is there a receipt for what I, <laughs> what I just did? But he, I think what we look in Peter is that there, we see all of our flaws, all of our passion, all of our conviction. Peter jumped out of the boat to walk on the water with Jesus, Right? And then started to sink because the faith wasn't there, right? He's like, wow, there's wind and waves out here. I didn't notice that, right? So it, it's a reflection of who we are, our ups and downs, our tossing and turnings, our rising and falling with Jesus. Because it's not all one story. That's why it's a consistent journey with Christ. We're going to hear today about a man and a woman, both who are prophets, who have spent their whole life journey waiting for the Messiah to come. And I want us to hear what they have for us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, 22 through 40, as we hear what Simeon and the prophet Anna say to Mary and Joseph. Verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said of the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. And he had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, I hope he asked Mary's permission before picking up. Because, man, I, I know <laughs> I would not let any old guy come up and take foster from my arms without permission. So let's just read that between the lines. He said, Mary, I'm Simeon, filled with the Holy Spirit, May I hold Jesus? That's appropriate. Okay. Then he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Friends, let's just stop right there. Was it because he was in the presence of an emperor on a throne that he saw the salvation of God? Was it because he was in a courtroom and had the gavel in his hand? And he's like, I've been given power over all of Rome. I've seen the salvation come. He picked up an infant. God had come as a helpless baby in the world. Not a commander leading chariots of fire. An infant baby that needed the compassion of people around them. And this is what Simeon says, I've seen the salvation come the reflection of our humanity and our inhumanity towards the vulnerable who need it the most. Then he goes on, 
a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. My friends, in a time where Judaism thought it was the one true religion for a faithful Jewish person to say this in the presence of Jewish parents with their firstborn child that is accustomed to the law to say, for all Gentiles too. (laughs) This means it's not just exclusive to us, but for all of us. And all Christians now say, hallelujah, (laughs) Hallelujah, that it's not just exclusive to that one religion. God's message of hope and salvation is now made available for all people. Including, and that is included in the consolation of what? Israel. So his perspective of God bringing and restoring God's people in the world is tied to the whole world being brought at peace. We can't miss the profound message that the prophet is saying here. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, and the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. The written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So my friends, I, I can't help but think, I, I am prone to thinking in big picture ways, so I just want to think with you in the year ahead. I Personally, I have a lot of hope. (laughs) You have to look for hope in the world, otherwise you're just going to feel hopeless a lot of the time. (laughs) You have to look for good news, and so I want to encourage you, seek out good news. The algorithms are not going to bring it to your screen. (laughs) The algorithms are prone to shock and make you feel like the world's on fire all the time, right? But there are people doing incredibly good things, if you want some good news, go look at the advances in health and, and uh, um, health technology in the last year. We had some tremendous breakthroughs in cancer research, vaccine, uh, the vaccine development, all these things. We have incredibly good news to celebrate. And advancements in, like, the rainforest. Do you know that deforestation in the rainforest has been cut down by 50%? Because of a vote in that, in that region of the world, I'm forgetting what nation that, where the rainforest is. I'm, my degrees are in theology, not geography. Um, <laughs> but because of a vote there, that country voted to stop deforestation, which impacts not just humanity, but all of the, the God's kingdom that's there. Some incredibly good news has happened. But friends, we are facing also probably one of the most contentious election years of our country's history, Right? And we are, we are seeing Christians in, in the mainstream eye saying some really good things. We also have some Christians saying some not-so-good things. 
uh, about our political engagement in the world. And I think what Jesus comes in the world and does for us, I want to think about three things with you. The first is power. I think Jesus redefines how we think about power. They, the people that followed closest to him were waiting for a Messiah because all previous, did you know that there were several other people that were called the Messiah and then after the fact they said, well, that didn't work out. He's not the Messiah. <laughs> so, uh, the Maccabean revolt, look at, look at that in, in, in history. About 100 years to the day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, Judas Maccabeus entered into Jerusalem on a war horse with his sword drawn, dripping with the enemy's blood that caused one of the worst conflicts in Roman Jewish history together. A hundred years to the day, almost, Jesus rides into town on a... Talk about a redefinition of power. We wanted the war horse. Jesus rides a donkey. A royal symbol of peace that even Solomon rode. They wanted Jesus to take up swords. What did he take up? A cross. They wanted Jesus to get behind the courts and sanction laws against those, those people that we don't believe should be included. And instead, he set a table and invited people to come. <laughs> he wanted the unclean to be kept away. And what did Jesus do? He knelt and washed dirty feet. <laughs> Jesus redefines how we think about power in the world. Jesus comes in the world and comforts the disturbed and disturbs the comfortable. Those who have power and privilege are asking. Jesus' own mother in Luke chapter 1 says that Jesus coming in to pull the powerful from their thrones and send the rich away empty. She wasn't campaigning to be a politician. <laughs> you don't get into high levels of power by preaching that kind of a message, right? Because she lived in a world where the rich were getting richer and the poor stayed poor and the powerless were oppressed so that the rich could stay rich. So how do we define power of those who claim to follow Christ? And I think what we are seeing in Christianity in our nation right now is a falling and rising on what it means to have power as Christians. And I have to tell you in my heart of hearts, I don't believe that American Christianity needs any more political power. It needs more compassion. It needs more self-awareness. It needs more empathy towards the, on the front lines of the issues it claims to care about. If it cares about immigration, how many immigrants' names does it know? If it cares about abortion, how many women names do they know that has gone through that alone? Because we can have all these convictions about these hot topic issues in the world, but if we don't know people's names, we don't actually love them. We love our beliefs about them, and that is completely different. When we love our beliefs more than we actually love people, we are not following Jesus. American Christianity doesn't need any more political power. It needs more Jesus. It needs more Jesus. And I think that is what we need to work towards in this next year. We need to see a revival of compassion and let that compassion shape how we politically engage. 
Because if we're not revealing compassion, <laughs> what does Scripture say that God is? It's very rarely that, God's, that the Scriptures say, God is this. The Scripture says that God is love. <laughs> God is love. And so what happens when followers of Jesus are not known for their love? Jesus says, you will be known as my disciples by the way that you control one another. Did I get that verse wrong? You will know, the world will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. When you love one another. And Jesus didn't say, convert your neighbors. (laughs) Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest law. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Jesus said that. So how do we define power? Does it look more like a war horse riding into town to take the thrones of power at the center of the city? (laughs) Or does it look like making peace on the fringes of people the city has forgotten about? that doesn't even know their names. Jesus came along and said, hey, I want you to follow me, nameless fisherman. (laughs) I want you to follow me, woman who continuously gets called a prostitute and isn't, Mary Magdalene. I want you to follow me too. I want the children to come to me. And everyone around him is looking like, okay, I keep waiting for a militia to form here, but he keeps calling fishermen and tax collectors and people with leprosy. His, His definition of power is different than ours there will be many who fall and rise on that very thing in our own country. So will we be a people that embodies the power of Christ Jesus? They want a lion. (laughs) He came as a lamb. That's a different definition of power. Many will rise and fall on what the future is supposed to mean, what it's supposed to look like. There are many different perspectives on what the future is meant to look like. And again, I have to say, I hope that we see a revival in Christianity, especially in our country, that wants a future that is filled with compassion. I think when we get in crisis moments where we have more immigration because of climate change than we've ever seen before, that's creating fear, not just here, but across the globe. And in so many sectors of American Christianity, climate change is denied, poo-pooed, or minimized. (laughs) So we can't address the problem that's causing immigration, that's causing all of these hardline politics that are happening in our country because we're denying what's happening. And we who are a people who claim to be people of truth constantly deny truth. (laughs) It saddens my heart so much that so many people who got caught up in conspiracy theories the last several years claim to follow Jesus. If we are a people of truth and yet we're advocating conspiracy theories, no one will trust the message we have to say. So we need to be a people who do not rise and fall because the truth isn't the reality that we hope it would be. I want the church to be a people who soberly look at reality as it is and don't stumble because of it and say, how then are we to respond with compassion, especially for the most vulnerable who are being impacted the most by this crisis. 
If our politics were shaped by compassion, just imagine what our world would look like instead of fear of the other, instead of power and control, instead of money. I think our economy should be based on human need, not profit. Call me crazy. (laughs) Human need. I looked at Foster's face yesterday, how innocent and pure and like, there's this theological strain that like I was considering in seminary. It's called, I won't name it because I don't want to, I told you I wasn't going to be angry at people. (laughs) But literally two Sundays ago, someone came into this very church and told me that babies are born evil and you need to have them baptized in order to wash off the stain of sin in their life. And they are so evil. Meanwhile, Foster's running around. And I said, my son, I cannot see him as evil. And he's like, just wait. (laughs) Where does God ever say that in the Bible? If we had a world that was centered around children and the elderly, the poor, the vulnerable, if we had an economy built around lifting them up, we wouldn't have war anymore. Because guess who suffers? Just look at Gaza. Who is suffering the most? The children, the elderly, the poor, the disabled, every people group that Jesus called us to care for. All while people in high places of power try to manipulate the the, the pawn so that they can get the more power at the end, safely away from the war. My friends, if we are not defined by compassion, I don't think we can call ourselves human anymore, let alone Christian. Because Jesus became a human being to show us what human beings are supposed to look like. God became human so that humans could reflect God in all that they do. We should not be a people who stumble and fall about these things that are happening in the world, but we should be seen as ones who rise to the occasion. And I really do think that it's because we rise and fall over what it means to be a hope-filled people. You can't let fear become rooted in your heart when you hold on to the hope of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you become hopeless, you let fear overtake us. And friends, fear is equally as accessible on the right as it is on the left, on the top as it is on the bottom. Fear is an equal opportunity offender. (laughs) We can fear others. And sometimes it's really legitimate fear. Other times, it's not legitimate at all, and you just listen to propaganda about those people that you claim are after your rights, and it's just not true. So we have to be a people who choose to let love drive fear away, because one of the most radical, radical things about the gospel of Jesus is that it even sets the oppressor free from being an oppressor to those who listen, Right? This is one of the most powerful tenets of Martin Luther King's movement is that he believed the KKK could be set free too. Imagine thinking that. Imagine deeply believing that. So think of that person, that relative that you maybe just had to spend Thanksgiving, Christmas with, who you think, they are so far gone, there is no way that God can even reach them, right? 
A follower of Jesus doesn't believe that. Followers of Jesus hold on to hope that even the one that you feel like is the most far gone, God can reach them. Maybe not through you, because it's not safe. (laughs) But God can still reach their hearts. And that's what prayer is for, to pray so that the, the hardest heart in the world can be transformed. Pharaoh even had that option to let his hard heart be softened and let the people go. But it was because he refused. And yet we see other moments in Scripture where those who held the most power let their heart be softened. And freedom came for the most vulnerable. We who are a people who follow Christ cannot rise and fall on hope. Hope has to be held on to so that we continue to pursue peace. We continue to pursue joy. We continue to embody love in the world the way that Christ showed us. So my friends, as you move together into this new year, with all the uncertainties, all the unpredictabilities, all of, all of the things that can make us really, really nervous, but all the things that we're looking forward to as well. May we be a people, as followers of Jesus, who are not seen falling over who Jesus came to be in the world, but rising and embodying who he is instead. Are there any um, Top Chef fans? Several of you, okay. One of the, my wife and I just recently got into Top Chef, and if you haven't seen it, it's some of the best chefs in the country competing to win the title of Top Chef, and it's all around food. And I had a professor tell me once, you know, if I had never heard the gospel at all, I think I'd still be a Christian because it revolves around a table. <laughs> right? It does. If you look throughout Scripture, food is central, right? That's why potlucks are so holy, right? <laughs> but I was, watch- I was just so struck the episode we watched last night, there was an Ethiopian restaurant that had no notoriety. It was an Ethiopian family. That's all they knew was food in L.A., and they were just struggling to get by. And this incredibly well-known, famous critic walked into their restaurant, tried everything on the menu, wrote this glowing review, and their popularity exploded in L.A. And He had passed away, and the owner of the restaurant from Ethiopia came out in her broken English and was just sobbing because she felt accepted and elevated in that community with Ethiopian food that people don't even know what Ethiopian food is half the time, right? They don't know what to expect in those things, and she felt so grateful for that friendship, that compassion shown around the table because food What is food besides another way of saying, I love you, I made this for you? (laughs) Can we gather together, sit, and talk about these things? Where in our world, this is such a rare technology right now. In our world of technology, the table is one of the rarest pieces. How often do we sit down with people like Judas and have a meal? The Judas is in our life. When was the last time we were able to sit down and have a meal? The Peters, who deny everything we say, but they're still part of the family, whether we like it or not. How often are we able to sit down and say, Jesus was broken so that we could love each other better? Can we come to the table and agree that we're going to try to love each other better the way that Jesus did for us? 
Because when Jesus says, come to the table and do this in remembrance of me, he is asking us to love like he loved. Even those whose thoughts are different, whose beliefs are different, who live different lives, how can we come to the table and let food do its work of bringing together in reconciliation? So as we come to the table, that's what I want to invite you to ponder on today. That it is a hard, radical message that Jesus gives his, his followers to love others, even their enemies. I have not gotten that figured out yet. <laughs> but we gather around the table just the same for the next meal, that next nourishment, so we can take that next step forward and try to love better tomorrow than we did today. Because we are always growing in love, amen? We are never going to have it perfected, but it is in the journey of continued growth in that love that matters. So when you come to the table and receive this in remembrance of Jesus, remember the love that God has for you. Receive it to your soul's comfort and joy and insist on that love becoming deeper in your own hearts today. If those who are going to assist me with communion, please come at this time while I pray for us. Lord God, when we confess those things that we have done wrong in our own lives, you tell us that we are forgiven. How easily are we to forgive others who have done us wrong? Lord God, we come to this table as wounded, hurt people as well, seeking healing. Sometimes we are the people that we have the hardest time to love. We are the people who have the hardest time to forgive is ourselves. So Lord God, when we come to this table, may we understand that you call us to love others as we love ourselves. And so loving ourselves well is such an important part of following you. When we come to this table and remember how you were denied and betrayed and yet you still extended this bread and this cup and said, do this whenever you eat of it, whenever you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. May we remember that radical love that came into this world to change it for the better. And may we be compelled by that radical love as well. And all God's people said. Thanks for listening today. Here at Cathedral of the Rockies, our motto is all means all, and we strive to truly live this out. You can help be a part of this by giving to us online. Here at the Amity campus specifically, we feed the hungry through our very active food pantry. Also, we are building up our children and youth programs so that we can serve all families in our area, and then also provide safe spaces for them to just be themselves. All means all. Any amount given is an investment that allows us to continue to serve those who join us in person and online and serve the growing neighborhoods around our church building. There is a link in the show notes where you can give online. Thanks again for joining us today and have a great rest of your day.